Well, today we're in part four of the series on parent guilt, and I'm excited to share what God has placed in my heart, and I want to do something today. I'd like for us to pray together before we go into this teaching. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I need your help in this moment, and I'm so dependent on you that your will would be accomplished, and every ear that needs to hear your word today, Lord, let it be sown deep into the heart, the depths of their heart. And Father, I pray that we wouldn't just to hear it, but God, we receive it and then do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today, I want to talk to you about the word. And if you have your notes with you, and I hope you do, because I print those off so that you can take notes. And uh, so that way you can hopefully go back to the notes when you forget everything I said. And, uh, and so you can review these notes. All right. That's my hope that they would be like imparted in you. So today I want to talk to you about this word, discipline, and I titled the message, The Goal of Discipline. So we're talking about discipline, the funnest part of parenting that uh, every parent loves, the discipline, all right? There's a, a famous quote that I heard Charles Stanley say, and it was this, that discipline, not desire, determines destiny. Now, Charles Stanley said this statement that at least that's the one who I heard, first heard it from. Uh, some might say Steve Harvey said that. Well, Charles Stanley's a little older, so I think I'm going with Charles Stanley. But uh, but uh, that's a real thing. I Google searched it, and it's like Steve Harvey's quote. I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. It's Charles Stanley. But discipline, not desire, determines destiny. Now, in this context and in this statement, if you were to hear Charles Stanley talk about this, he's really talking about self-discipline, the idea that you can desire to become an athlete, desire to hit a certain level of whatever, you know, but ultimately it comes down to your self-discipline, the habits that you have in your life. And so I understand that's really what he's getting at. But I took the same quote, and I just thought, I think this also relates to parenting as well, that you could desire things for your children all day long, but ultimately it comes down to discipline. It comes down to the approach to which you discipline, the how you go about discipline, because we all know that we're shaped by our, the discipline we received or the discipline we didn't receive, that discipline ultimately is a big part of how we go about developing and raising children in this world. And so... When you think about discipline, I'm sure there's a couple of things that go through your mind. And I'll put up a couple of different strategies, different approaches. There's, uh, we got timeout. Any timeout fans, you know? Anybody? No timeout fans. Okay, so a couple of timeout fans. Yeah, we're the timeout people. And then you got some spanking people. Anybody want to admit you're the spanking ones? Okay, some of you, some of you are both, you know, spanking and timeout, whatever works. And um, how about yelling? Any yellers in the house? That's the, Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Everybody's a yeller, you know, yeah, scream, you know. So, 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 you know, we, we think about all these different approaches to, to parenting. And then, and then we have none. Anybody a fan of no discipline? Just no discipline. Okay. You, okay. They're, they're, they're out there, right? There's these parents. We know this. There's some who, who, you know, they receive so much discipline, they just become best friends. And I, and I just felt so impressed by the Spirit of God to say this to you. If for some reason you ever feel compelled to be more of a best friend to your child, you are selling your child short. You are not called. I'm going to set you free today. You are not called to be your child's best friend. You're called to be their parent. And that is completely different. But a lot of, a lot of us, we were disciplined maybe harshly or wrongly, or some of us might have been. And so we just tend to lean towards trying to be a best friend. And I'm just letting you know that never works out. So we have all these different approaches to discipline. And we could create a whole list and charts and all kinds of stuff. Here's what I'm going to do today. I am not going to tell you the best approach to discipline. And the real reason is, I don't know the real way to discipline. I'm still trying to figure out. I heard a statement, I told my wife this, and it just freed me up. And it said, we're all practicing parents. 
And I felt so good with that. I thought, that is so true. We're just practicing. We don't have it figured out. We're just practicing. So I'm not going to sit here today and try to give you the best approach to disciplining your child. Because I don't know. What works for your child may not work for the next child. Amen. If you have multiple children, you know that's true. You're like, we're trying to figure this thing out still and it's all changing. So, so instead, here, here's what I want to do today. I don't want to talk to you about the approach to discipline. I want to talk to you about the goal of discipline. Today is all about the goal of discipline. With whatever approach, whatever strategy you, you take, however you take, you know, scripture and say, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. It's all about switches off the tree, you know, whatever it is. Anybody have a great grandparent that told them that, they, you know, my grandmother used to go grab the branch off the tree? Yeah, yeah okay, so some of you. My great grandmother used to say it all the time. You might grab a branch. And she did. One time she was like 90 and she grabbed a branch. And, anyways, that was a whole nother scar of my life. But. But the goal of discipline is what I want to talk to you about today. Now, there's a writer in the book of Hebrews, or sorry, the book of Proverbs, who writes uh, Solomon. He writes this letter to his son. So Proverbs is all these statements of wisdom. And some would say they're not promises. They're more like principles. Some would say some of them are promises. Some of them are principles. And I'd probably say some of them are promises. Some of them are principles. But not every, not every principle is necessarily a promise, but certainly principles of good statements of wisdom. And this dad writes this son, and he writes this about God's discipline, and here's what he says. He says, my child, do not reject the Lord's discipline, and don't be upset when he corrects you, for the Lord corrects those he loves. That's so important. He corrects those he loves just as a father. He introduces this relationship that God is in this relationship with his children, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights, or the word is actually in Hebrew would be the word please, who's he's, who he's pleased with. This is who he disciplines, the people that he's pleased with, the people that he delights in. So this word discipline is the word I want to focus in on today. And again, my hope for you today is that not that you would walk away here going, that's the best, that's the best approach, that's the strategy to disciplining children in this world or around us or whoever we influence in our lives, but really the goal of discipline is what I want to address with you today. If you walk away with the goal of discipline, I feel like I think I've done communicate to you what I feel like God's put in my heart to communicate with you. So this word discipline actually means this word correction. In the New Testament, this is the Hebrew word, but in the New Testament, it actually means to train or to teach or to instruct. So I want you to understand the word discipline at its core, at its core, has nothing to do with punishment, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Discipline is all about training and all about correcting and all about guiding and all about instruction. And so I started to research more the definition of discipline, and so I went to our trusted resource, Google, and you know Google, everything Google says is right. So, because the reason why I go to Google is because that's where you go. So I just wanted to type in what you would type in, what is discipline, because, you know, that's what we do. And then this is the definition of discipline according to Merriam-Webster, according to Google, found on Google, and it's this. And I was like, Yes, and I just kind of like really confirmed what is biblically true as well. So Google supports the Bible, and they didn't even know it. But it says, discipline comes from despiculus, the Latin word for pupil, which, by the way, is where also you get the word, the source of the word for disciple. And so here's what I want you to understand. At its root, at its core, discipline means to disciple. To, dis to discipline is to disciple. To discipline is to disciple. I think we had that on the slide. If you could go there for me, just quick. There you go. Thank you. Yes, perfect. To, if I repeat things, that's it. Usually that's the slide. So to discipline is to disciple. 
That's a fact. That's a reality. It wasn't until, historically speaking, it wasn't until the 13th century that we began to attach punishment to discipline. Prior to the 13th century, the idea of discipline had nothing to do with punishment. It had everything to do with discipleship. I just want you to know that changes things, doesn't it? Just imagine what the world might look like, what your parenting style might look like if the idea of discipline was translated into discipling. Maybe as parents, the real calling on our life is to disciple, not to discipline. You think, man, take a step back. What's your disciplinary approach? I'm a disciplinarian. I'm going to put a new word in. How about I'm a disciplinarian? I know that word doesn't exist, but I'm just throwing it out there. Maybe it'll stick. We'll find out in a couple decades. But the point is, I want you to understand that the heart of this whole thing is discipleship. It's not discipline. And that's what I want you to understand in, in this text today, in this talk today, and I hope that you can get this, because as a parent, there's no higher calling than to, to disciple your child. It's not to discipline your child, it's to disciple them. That's why I want us to focus on understanding the goal of discipleship. Discipline, at its core then, is not, its root is in training, which we see in the definition of it, historically speaking and scripturally speaking, it's rooted in training, not punishment, and for many of you, for, or I should say many, but for some of you, I know this is true. This is a touchy subject, and I just want to address that right now. And, and uh, even as I was praying through this talk, I knew that there'd be some of you out there, you hear the word discipline, and immediately pain enters your heart. Because for some, and this is true, and I don't, I don't shove it down like it's nothing, for some of you, the idea of discipline, it makes you cringe. Because for you, when you think about discipline, it was all about punishment. It wasn't about training. And for some, it was really harsh. And for those who maybe have experienced that, I just want to tell you this today, and maybe this feels weird, I don't know, but just, just take it. I just I genuinely wanted to say this from my heart. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that that occurred. I'm sorry that that happened. But I want you to know the truth behind discipline. Discipline is not rooted in punishment. It's rooted in training. That's where it originates from. And so if we're going to be training our children, if we're going to train them, the question I want to kind of propose today is, what's the goal of the training then? What's the goal of training? If the idea of, of, of this whole idea of discipline means training or discipling, then what's the goal of it? What's the goal? Because training has an object, right? Anything you train for, you're training for something. There's an object to it. There's something you're trying to get to on the other side. So what is it that we're trying to train them to do? Right? And for some parents, they might say, we're trying to train them to get good grades. That's the training, if that's what you're after. We're just trying to get a, a kid who makes good grades. And for some, it's like, no, we want them to train them to get a good job. Like, is that the goal? Is the goal here to train them to get a good job? The goal is to get them married and out of the house as fast as we possibly can. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the goal. That's just what we're trying to accomplish. Disciple or not, I don't care, but when he's out of here, 18 sounds good to me, you know? Uh, whatever the goal is, but I want you to understand, just think about this. What's the goal, parents, of your training? What is the goal of your training? And today I hope somehow maybe to challenge that thinking and just kind of get you to think that, ah, maybe the goal for some of you, maybe the goal for some of us, maybe the goal for some of our friends or neighbors, maybe it needs to be altered or adjusted a little bit. Because after all, discipline has nothing to do with punishment. It has everything to do with with discipleship. 
And I want you to see that today. Now, here's what I want you to understand. I think this is all going to set us free. Something we all understand, we all know. This isn't just a Christian thing. This is just a thing that's true, is that children don't naturally go the way that they should. Amen? Yeah, but neither do you, by the way. And neither did you, by the way. You don't just naturally go the way that you should go. That just doesn't happen, right? In fact, the writer of Proverbs, the same guy I just talked to you about a moment ago, actually said this a couple thousand years ago. So you agree with at least one Bible verse. Even if you're not a Christian, you're like, well, I got to agree with that one. That's a good one. And you should read a couple more. Chances are you're going to agree with a couple things the Bible has to say. So here's what this guy said in Proverbs. He says, start children off the way they, say it with me, should go. In other words, here's an indicator. A couple thousand years ago, they were raising a child. He was writing this letter to his son, by the way, which I think is hilarious, basically saying, I had to start you off the way you should go because you never went the way you should go on your own. Without me, you wouldn't go the way you should go. So he says, start your children off the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. I'm not going to get into the teaching because some people think that that's a promise or is that a principle. I'm not going to get into that because what I want to focus on here just a moment, just a moment, is this idea of should go. There's a truth that children need training, and so do you. And we all have to have this training. The question I have then is why? Why? Why do we need training? Why do we need this idea of discipline or training or correction or instruction or discipleship? Why don't we just naturally go that way? Well, to answer that, of course, you've got to go back to the beginning. It's a guy named Moses and writes this letter called, we call Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And here's what he says about why we naturally don't go the way we should. And he explains it to us in Genesis chapter 3 where he talks about the idea of sin. And Christians know, hey, this is where sin enters the world. Yep, understand that. And sin kind of distorts the nature of God or the, the nature of humanity. And so this is how he proposes it. And this is the context. This is the scene in the garden where Adam and Eve are there. And God has said everything is good. The relationship between God and humans is perfect. Nothing is wrong. Everything is right. There's no sin in the world. And this is what happens in on the scene. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And he says, the woman was convinced. All right, this is where the scene, she's sitting there. There's this tree. There's some kind of fruit on the tree, whatever that fruit is. And, and she's there, and she's told, don't eat of it. God has told her, don't eat of it. And then she's about to eat of it. The woman becomes convinced because this enemy, we call it the serpent. Some say Satan, some say devil, but this is the serpent. Evil comes in and tries to get her to eat of the fruit. Are you with me? So she saw that the tree was beautiful, and the fruit looked so good that she wanted wisdom that it would give her. And so she thought, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. So she goes for it. So she took some of the fruit, and she ate it. Then she gave it to her husband, and then with that, all of a sudden they ate too, and this is the, at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame. In this moment, Christians will say, well, this is where sin enters the world, and there's shame at their nakedness, and they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. It goes on to say in verse 8 in this scene, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. It's kind of like a picture you would imagine of this physical representation. Maybe it's Jesus right there walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called out to them, Where are you? Okay. I just want to paint that picture of the scene. God says, I'm in right standing relationship with humanity and everything is good in this relationship. Sin enters and all of a sudden you see humans do something they had never done before. 
they run and hide from God. They run and they hide. And they try to cover up their mistake. They try to run from it. And God shows up and he makes this statement. He says, where are you? Which is interesting. Either God doesn't know everything, which then if he doesn't know everything, he wouldn't be God. Or God does know everything, which means he knows exactly where they were. So what is he asking? Why is he saying, where are you, when he knew exactly where they were? Here's what God is ultimately helping these people realize. You are now lost. In other words, where are you? I'm trying to get you to confess something that you need to confess. And first of all, it starts here. Confess that you're lost. Confess that there is something that has gone wrong in this relationship. Where are you? It would be as if a father were to call out to their child and say, why would you lie to me? I want you to think about that as a parent. Imagine as a parent, whenever your child dishonors you or doesn't listen to you, doesn't heed your advice, and as a dad, as a mom, here's what you say. Why would you do that? And it's not out of anger. Ultimately, you know this, a lot of times it's out of hurt. It's like, why? Why would you lie? Why would you take that? Why would you rob that? Why? Why would you do that to me? Why would you say that? Why would you keep that from me? What's going on in our relationship? Look how the man responds in verse 10. This is how Adam responds. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. Prior to this interaction in history, there was no fear of God in the sense of I was afraid of you. And all of a sudden, he sees his heavenly father as somebody completely different because of sin. And it distorts the relationship between humanity and God. And the relationship with God ultimately was damaged. I want you to understand this truth behind this relationship with God was damaged. That at the core of every transgression is a damaged relationship. Any time your child doesn't do the thing that you're asking them to do, it's damaging in the relationship. Anytime we didn't do what our parents instructed us to do, there's a damage sometimes that goes to the relationship. And it hurts and scars the relationship. So this interaction happens in humanity. I'm all going, just track with me. Follow me for a minute on this because I'm talking about, you know, why is it we have to train them? Why do we have to train them? So as a result of this sin... God says, here's what's going to happen. Now, he curses the serpent. He doesn't curse humanity, but he curses the serpent. In verse 16 and 17, this is what he says. Then he said to the woman, he starts talking about child pain and a childbirth. You're going to experience a lot of pain. Then he goes to the man. He says, you're going to have to work, and you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do that. And here's what God does. I want you to understand this. God does not curse them. God does not punish them. God simply reveals to them the consequences of their decision. He just, he just says, I'm going to push on this, and I'm going to help you understand the consequences of what you just did to our relationship. I'm not punishing you. I'm correcting you, and I'm helping you understand what just occurred because of the decision that you made. And so he lays out these consequences of this action. In Genesis chapter 3, God does something remarkable. You say, well, God's into spanking, God's into timeout, God's into punishing. Watch what God does as a result of these children disobeying him, his own creation, his own flesh and blood. Here's what he does in place of Genesis 3.21. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. 
And we know this is biblically true because we have the whole Bible in context now and we get to see Jesus later on coming to a cross and paying the price for the sins, that this is a picture of Jesus Christ back in the garden where God says, I'm going to sacrifice an animal, take the skin to cover up the human sin in their life. And ultimately it's the sacrifice, the payment of sins that Jesus would come and pay the price for the sins of the world. I think this is a remarkable picture of discipline, at least God's discipline. God's discipline is always in the direction of relationship restoration. I teach on that because I think this is so powerful when it comes to parenting. Follow me this on this. Parents, if you're a parent, going to be a parent, new parent, listen. Know a parent. If you just know a parent, help them understand this. God's way of disciplining was always in the direction of relationship restoration. When God enters the garden and he sees what happens with Adam and Eve, what does he say? Where are you? What happened in our relationship? Something has blocked our relationship. We were in good standing and now we're not. Where are you? And I need you to see it because he saw it. He's God. So he says, I need you to see it. I got to get you to understand that something has gone wrong in our relationship. And now I'm going to do something. I've got to restore the relationship. So ultimately, he sends Jesus to die for the sins of the world in order to restore back what was broken and what was lost. God is always disciplining in the idea of saying, I've got to restore the relationship. I want relationship restoration. That's at the heart of it. You say, how does that look as a parent? As a parent. Listen, I am not perfect at this, but this is just something that I try to do. I want you to know I try to do it. I'm not perfect at it. This is not how I always parent or discipline, but sometimes, sometimes I'm better than I am at other times. But here's how that looks practically uh, in, in our home. And, and I'll use my son as an example. I've been picking on him in this series, so I'm going to pick on my son again. I didn't ask him for this one, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyways. I remember the first time my son lied to me. Anybody remember the first time your, your child lies to you? My son was like five or six, you know? I was like, well, who taught you to lie? Like, why are you lying? Anyways, and he has this like direct lie, you know? And I says, why, why would you lie to me? And so he begins to kind of explain to me, you know, why he would lie. I said, listen, lying is one of the worst things you can do. And I was explaining, you know, you tell a lie and then I lose trust in you. And, and, but my real question is, why would you lie? What have I done that would make you think that I don't, you know, would, would take what you said, or what, what would I do to you? And of course, he was a lot of fear about getting in trouble. I said, yeah, but even if, I, even if I disciplined you, don't you know it's because I love you? So we had this interaction and this exchange, and I'm still working on it. I don't have it figured out. But I'm trying to help him understand the relationship. I, certainly, I did discipline him for the lie in of itself, but I was trying to help him understand what you just did is damage the relationship. One time with my daughter, actually, I do this all the time with my oldest daughter because she's at that age where it's just, you know, the conversations are getting a little more easier. And so I'll ask her to do something. I say, hey, can you do this for me? Or, hey, would you do that? And then she says, why? She's in the stage of why, 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 why? Anybody at that stage or maybe you've been at that stage, why, why? And, and, every, and every parent wants to say the same thing. And we all do it at some point because, because I said so. Just, good, you know, and I'm going to, you know, but, but. This is one of the few times I didn't say because I said so. And I said, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, do you trust me? I said, Dad, yes. No, no, seriously. I just, and honestly, in that moment, I want her to see my heart. I said, seriously, do you trust me? She said, yeah. I said, then just do what I said. She goes, fine, I trust you. 
What I wanted her to see in that moment was, and I don't always get this right, but what I wanted to see her in that moment was, the way God disciplines is always leaning towards relationship restoration. Listen, write this down in your notes. The goal of God's training ultimately is freedom. The goal of his training, the goal of his discipline is freedom. And I know that for some of us who received harsh discipline, you'd say, gosh, that doesn't feel like that's what was true for me. But the goal of God's training, 100%, is freedom. What did he want for Adam and for Eve and all humanity? Freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from the thing that destroys the relationship. Sin at its core destroys relationship. When sin entered the human heart, jealousy destroys relationships. Envy destroys relationship. And so he says, I've got to set out a plan and a path through my son, Jesus Christ, to restore what was broken, the relationship. And so God's goal of training, one would say discipline, ultimately is freedom. The truth is, as parents discipline their child, the goal is freedom. I want you to actually be free. Free from what? Free from what you would naturally do if I didn't correct you. Because you would end up going towards sin. So I've got to guide you back away from sin, what you naturally would do, and point you back into freedom. Because I want you to actually be free. And of course, every child wants to be free, right? Every child has this idea that freedom is what? Freedom is doing whatever I want to do, right? You say, well, that's not freedom. The truth is that's slavery, right? That's slavery. That's being slave to your own self, to your own sin. But, but God does not do that. He says, no, I've got to push you towards freedom, and I want you to be free. So he sends Jesus Christ to die on the cross so that you would be free, so that you don't do the thing that destroys the relationship. I want you to be free to tell me whatever you want to tell me. I want you to be free to trust me with whatever you want to trust me with. I want us to have freedom in our giving, freedom in our generosity. I want there to be a degree of freedom in this relationship. And so ultimately the goal of God's training is freedom. I think King David had a great picture of this, Psalm 23. Psalm 23 verse four gives us a great picture I think from King David and how he saw God's discipline. Here's what he says. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, even when I'm in timeout, basically, even when, you know, I got it, whatever. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, there has been some adversity. There has been some correction. There has been some difficult times. God is allowing to come my way. There has been some degree of disciplinary action. There's some, there's some season of correction that I'm in. He says, I will not be what? Afraid. David, as a child of God, looks up and says, I'm not afraid of my dad. I have reverence of my dad, but I'm not afraid of my dad. He says, for you are close beside me. There's a relationship that I have there with God, and I've recognized that even when there's disciplinary things happening, I'm in a dark valley, I'm in a season, it's tough, it's difficult, God is beside me. I want you to imagine disciplining a child or training a child in such a way that you could discipline them, but they would know you would never leave them or forsake them. That's why it's so important at the end of every disciplinary action to help make sure there's a relationship restoration. I want you to understand why the discipline has occurred. 
because of what it's doing to this relationship between you and me. David makes this huge, powerful statement. He says, your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. If you have a Bible and you want to highlight that or underline that, the rod protects and comfort me, which, by the way, gives a whole new meaning to the proverb, spare the rod, spoil the child. Some of you right now are like, I thought that was just freedom to just, you know, go to town. David had a whole different picture of God's rod and his staff. He said, they comfort me. They protect me. That staff protects me. Listen, the rod, we'll put it up, the rod is a means of guidance, not an instrument of punishment. And I just want to say to you, if for some reason in your life, maybe you didn't experience that the rod to you was all about punishment, I just want you to know that is not scripturally accurate. The rod is a means of guidance. It's not just to punish. It's an instrument of guidance. And I'm not saying to you, by the way, I'm not saying that I'm trying to get on the bandwagon of no spanking. I'm not here to debate the approach. To, I've told you that. I'm not here to debate the approach of, of, of using some tool or a branch off a tree. What a, what a, I'm not here to debo- debate the, the idea of it. Here's what I am after the heart of the matter. What's going on in your heart at the moment that disciplinary action is happening? And what I'm telling you is whenever God allowed correction to come, David, the son, the one who was being disciplined, said, man, I recognize it's there to comfort me and protect me. In other words, I understand what's happening in the person's heart who's disciplining me in this very moment. And because of that, I receive it. That's powerful when you think about from a parenting perspective. Does the child understand, can they comprehend what's going on in the parent's heart at the moment the discipline is being implemented? Well, David knew this whole thing was not about punishment. It was all about guidance. And it protects and it comforts me. In other words, I totally understand why that has occurred. And ultimately, it's out of love. Proverbs 3, the writer goes back. I want to go back to the verse, verse 3, chapter 3, verse 11. He says, my child, do not reject the Lord's discipline and do not be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves. So clear to the writer of Proverbs as well that God disciplines those he loves. Listen, God disciplining those he loves is not a freedom card that you get to play to abuse your child, to punish your child. See, God said, I can take the rod. No, it's those who he loves. Just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights, which by the way is interesting because he says, I'm pleased with you. And because I'm pleased with you, I train you. I correct you. I guide you because I'm pleased with you. The reason we don't take God's instruction, though, a lot of times, we don't take God's instruction is not because of his lack of knowledge, because God knows everything, but rather of a lack of understanding of who he is. And this is at the heartbeat, I think, of all the disciplinary action that we provide our children, understanding who we are. Think about saying no to Tiger Woods giving you a golf lesson. If Tiger Woods came up to you and said, hey, I got a golf lesson, would you go, no, I don't think so, I'm going to take it, you don't know what you're talking about. I mean, think about that. Anytime we reject God's discipline, what we're saying is, no thanks, I know a little more than you do. Doesn't that sound like a child? Because parents all the time say, I know more than you do. Trust me on this. 
Do you know who your heavenly father really is? This is such good understanding for us when we think about discipline. Do your children know how much you really love them? God's discipline is only motivated by love. We'll put it up. God's discipline is motivated only by his love, not by his justice. It's always motivated by his love. In fact, this is true that God shows, I want to put this in, I think this is for somebody, God shows his wrath when he ignores our sin, allowing it to pass without correction. You say, what about God's punishment though? What about what he did to humanity? What about Noah? What about all this stuff? What about his punishment? Listen, listen, listen. All he did was withdraw from the consequences of the decision you made. It's not his punishment, it's his removal of his involvement, allowing you to suffer the consequence that you brought upon about the decision that you made. It's not his punishment. The most loving thing he can do is get in the middle of it and correct you and guide you to truth and to freedom and to love and to understanding who he is. The best form of discipline, and we're almost done, the best form of discipline is not a method. It's modeling. Say, man, how do I, what does that mean for me? I'm trying to help you understand this idea of discipline. I'm not here to preach about a method. I'm here to preach about modeling discipling. I would say to you that is the best form of discipline you can possibly give your children is to model Jesus in their life. I heard a statement once, we'll put it up a couple of years ago, that we teach what we know, and I added in, we generally reproduce who we are. We generally reproduce who we are. Not always, but we generally speaking, we do. We teach what we know, but we really reproduce who we are. That's why modeling becomes so important in your home. Making a disciple involves teaching and modeling. It requires modeling. You say, but I want to discipline my child. I want to train them. I want to instruct them. You have to go beyond words. And the most powerful thing you can do as a parent is to model it in your home. And I'm saying this is going to produce perfect children. No, it's training children. It's completely different. And even you as a parent are still being trained yourself, by the way. Final thought, best, the best form of discipline. This is just, I see this through scripturally and it's my opinion the best form of discipline begins with an introduction to Jesus why do I say that to you because that's where discipleship begins an introduction to Jesus and here's my hope this whole anchor as I prayed about this whole message today is that you would walk away as a parent saying the best thing that I can do is simply not discipline my child but disciple my child Ultimately, that's my calling as a parent. I was entrusted a child or I was entrusted someone under my care from a foster parent or whatever situation you might be in or some kind of influence or if you're in a classroom with children. I am simply given an opportunity to disciple, to train, to correct, to teach, and to guide. And the best thing you could do as a parent is to simply do the thing that's step one in discipleship, which is do what all the brothers of the disciples did, is just introduce them to the rabbi to the teacher, to the model, and say, this is Christ, and this is Jesus, and this is who he is, and this is sin, and this is what happens when you sin and it distorts our relationship. It just takes some of these principles today as a parent, and you think about when it comes to discipline. For me, as a parent of four, and this right here shifts my whole perspective. And it just reminds me of the most important thing when it comes to raising children, discipling children, is introducing them to Jesus. 
And so the other day, and I'll wrap it up with this, in our youth ministry, I sent this to them as well. Some of our teenagers heard it. Uh, we have student ministry on Sunday nights. And so I was telling our teenagers this a while back, and I'll wrap it up with this thought. And I was telling my own kids this. And I'm going to keep trying to repeat this and then so they understand. I said, you know, a couple thousand years ago, there was this guy. I didn't use the names. There was this guy. And he walked the earth. This is a real historical figure. He's a real guy. All of a sudden, he starts raising dead people. He's healing sick people. He starts saying that he's going to die. And he predicts his own death. By this time in the story, they're like, what, for real? <gasps> what? That's crazy. I'm like, I know. It's, it is kind of crazy. But then it goes further. This guy actually said that he was dying for you and for me. And he was going to die in a certain day. And here's how he was going to die. And he predicted how he was going to die. And by this time in the story, I didn't use the name. They're like, who is this guy? And I said, no, no, you got to know it. Understand, understand. The same guy, he predicted his own death. But then, this is crazy. And these guys wrote all this stuff down. It's all, it's all in this book. It's crazy. It's this really cool book. But this, this guy predicted his own death. But then he said, I'm going to come back to life three days after that. And by this time, they're like, who is this guy? And I'm like, I'm telling this crazy story. Because I was trying to make it not biblical. So I was trying to like make it like seem just totally historical, you know. And so teenagers in the row sitting in front of me were talking about this. I'm like, man, this is crazy. This is crazy. And all teenagers in our youth ministry were like leaning in. Like, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. This guy actually predicted his own resurrection. He goes, I'm going to come back from the dead. And he did it on three separate occasions. And then he pulled it off. And, they, and I'm telling you, and it's like, my kids are like, huh? who? And of course I say, Jesus. And here's what broke my heart. Some of these, my own children who were in the room, some of the other students sitting right there in front of me go, I never knew that. Here's what we do as Christians. We just do whatever that guy says to do. And they're like, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't push him to the Bible. I push him to a man, and his name is Jesus. The basics of Christianity, and I've said this before, church, listen, is not what the Bible says. Don't play the card, God's going to get you. You're just going to make them like, whoa, like, I don't want a God then. Let me introduce you to this guy named Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus and what Jesus did. Let me tell you about what Jesus has done in my life. Let me tell you about what Jesus can do in your life. The best form of discipline, of discipleship, is introducing your child to Jesus. And when you discipline your child, just think about that before you discipline. You do that, it's going to change the heartbeat of why you discipline and maybe even how you discipline. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your wonderful grace. How good your grace is. How sweet it is, Lord. Father, thank you for correcting us punishing, but paying the price for our sins, coming in our place in order to restore what was broken between humanity and you. 
Father, as parents, if you're a parent in the room, I'm praying this with you. You can just tell Jesus, I need your help. Father, help me to parent. Help us to influence the children you've entrusted to our care or in our sphere of influence. We are nieces, our nephews, our grandchildren. God, Lord, help me to introduce them to the real you. Lord, teach me your ways. Disciple me, even, so that I can be a disciple maker to my own children. Father, we love you. We thank you. We need your help in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen.